The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. All right, everyone enjoying themselves? How's that for les mignons? You know, we're all here for a really important reason. Because everyone... Randy, have Randy, we've got a problem. What? Go. Reality's here. He's trying to crash the party. Reality? Who let him in? Nice wine, huh? What do you think of that? You know what I think of your pretty flowers? There you go. How do you like that? All right, buddy, let's go. You, 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 you. Give me that, stupid bitch. What a lovely charity event. I suppose you're all feeling pretty good about yourselves. What have you done? You've raised $300 by spending half a million on filet mignon and crystal glasses. We eat too much. We take our spoiled lives for granted. Feel a little bad about it sometimes. No. You want to put all your shit up on the internet and have every single person say, Hooray for you. F*** you. You're all pricks. What's the matter with you people? You're sad that people are mean? Well, I'm sorry. The world isn't one big liberal arts college campus. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, October 13th, 2016. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. The world isn't. One big liberal arts college campus concludes Mr. Reality from our South Park opener. And to play on a familiar saying by past global news, Peter Truman, remember him? I do. (laughs) That may not be news, but that too is reality. Well, when it comes to our two topics today, you could say that may be reality, but it's not news, (laughs) some of the things that we're covering. In the second half of our presentation today, we'll be taking a look at yet another Black Lives Matter-related scandal that has struck our hometown of London, Ontario and has captured the attention of the politically correct around the world. Yes, our old haunting ground, the campus of the University of Western Ontario, now called Western University, has again been identified as a breeding ground for racism, sexism, and all of the other usual, quote, liberal arts college campus list of things that offend the politically correct. In our opening half of the show today, reality made an appearance in the second U.S. presidential debate in the form of none other than Donald Trump. Donald Trump, I think, Robert, represents reality to the left, and that's one thing they can't deal with. And I'm looking forward to hearing your take on the debate right after we remind our listeners to write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ and Channel 292 Shortwave, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, all the direct links to our incredible archive of past broadcasts of this show. Well, Robert, what do you think of the second presidential debate? Well, I'm going to be talking about that for the next quarter hour, uh, after which I'll get into some of the fun that I'm having with the uh, Trump Hollywood Access tape. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a, a hoot. But um, for me, the debate was was pure theater. I've never seen anything like it in all my years of watching political debates and discussion. It was enthralling, unlike the first debate, which bored you to tears. So the second presidential debate, I came away with actually a more favorable estimation of both candidates. Uh, Donald Trump, for his knowledge, policies, and directness, <laughs> 
to be blunt about it, and Hillary for her polish and poise under fire. And boy, was she ever under fire. In other words, though, I was greatly impressed by Trump's depth and Clinton's shallowness. <laughs> now, with the release of the uh, 11-year-old Axis Hollywood tape of Trump and Billy Bush making crude remarks about women, something I will expand on in the second quarter of the show, Trump had to come out fighting during the debate. Now, while I think he more or less had been treating Clinton with uh, kid gloves up until the debate on Sunday, given all she had done to destroy the United States and her 30-year record of uh, destruction, those gloves came off during the latest debate when the first question from one of the moderators of the debate, Anderson Cooper, said that Trump bragged that he personally sexually assaulted women. And of course, having listened to the so-called locker room banter tape, Trump did not say that. Said no such thing. No such thing. Anderson Cooper lied. From that point on, personal attacks by both the moderators and Clinton were fair game for Trump. They were patently being unfair in their supposedly objective position for the moderators of debate moderators. I mean, they were supposed to be like referees, neither taking one side nor the other. For them to start off the entire debate with an insult, a personal insult to one of the candidates was unconscionable. Now, when Clinton picked up on the lie by Anderson Cooper, she too then permitted turnabout by Trump. The debate could have been more subdued and as boring as the first debate, but for the personal lies and attacks by the moderators in Hillary. Instead, they drove into the territory of personal attack and mudslinging. And for my research into the veracity of personal claims on both sides, more mud stuck to Clinton than Trump. You know, up until this debate, the behavior of Clinton uh, against the many women who have claimed that her husband Bill Clinton sexually assaulted and raped was kept primarily to the Internet. As the mainstream media, as usual, had been hoping that the American public had forgotten about the, his impeachment for lying to Congress, his subsequent disbarment. They had also hoped that people had forgotten about Clinton's cavalier attitude about defending a child rapist. Not that, that she defended it, by the way, because... Any person deserves a defense in court, and I don't fault Clinton for being a defense attorney in that sense. I fault her for laughing about it, laughing about the polygraph that he took and passed, hmm. which she laughed about. Well, there goes my faith in polygraphs. Ha, 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 chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. Meanwhile, you have somebody getting slapped on the wrist for raping a 12-year-old. You know, they also, uh, the mainstream media had also hoped that the American public had forgotten about the American dead in Benghazi and Clinton's role in that and the emails that she deleted. It was fair and proper for Trump to bring these points up during a widely watched debate only weeks before Americans go to the polls. Absolutely fair. I don't fault Trump one bit for that. He was attacked. He was the victim in this debate. He came out fighting and I think he won. As a student of psychology and philosophy and politics myself, I often find that the more interesting behavior actually is that of the people on the periphery of an event rather than on the behavior of the principles of the event. Trump and Clinton may have been under the microscope for the past few months, but neither of them would have been there if it had not been for the actions of others. For Trump, it was fascinating to see the lack of support he received by the GOP establishment, which is mostly theocratic in policy focus and morally corrupt in character with people like Paul Ryan 
just recently changing his mind on crucial issues and his support for Trump. And he changed his mind on the issues depending on which way he thinks the public opinion goes. He's always, he blows like the wind. Ryan is totally <laughs> self-serving. He's there not to serve the public. He's there to be served by the public. He's there to get rich, just like Clinton. Ryan is as much a Washington crony as Clinton is, and his recent decision to no longer support Trump is a prime example of the two-faced, vacillating nature of establishment Republicans. If there's any doubt that the establishment Republicans no longer hold sway with the American public, it was with the decided selection of Donald Trump as their candidate. Not the establishment candidate, their candidate. Selected not by the establishment, but by the members of the Republican Party who have become sick and tired of the old GOP moving further and further to the left or not sticking to principles, not sticking to reason, not being a sober second thought party as opposed to the... the um, Bleeding Heart Democrat Party. Do you really think that's how they think? Those are the terms in which they think in, of their disapproval? Well, I'm sure with the millions of people who voted for Trump during the uh, nomination process, there's a million reasons why they did it. Right. But I think that there was a substantial portion of them were sick and tired of people like Paul Ryan and the people they supported. You know, it's not just the insiders of the GOP, which are fascinating character studies in politics and duplicity. Recent WikiLeaks bombshells. Have you been keeping up on those bombs? No. Uh, the, uh, bombshells <laughs> bombs, bomb? no. Uh, that <laughs> no. to me is, I, I haven't heard anything substantive come out of them yet that, I, that, that means anything to me. It's, uh, yeah. Well, there's been a few recently. They, uh, Julian Assange just released stuff from the Democratic National Committee. Um, emails, um, something like many tens of thousands of emails which have been sifted through. Well, maybe in my very lifetime I might be able to get through four or five of them. <laughs> actually, you've got, we've got a very good website. You can actually go there and search for key terms and things like that and look up stuff. And people are doing aggregate and jobs. What's the, but what's the deal? What is the big, what has been revealed in these emails that we should all be concerned about? Well, what, you know, I do have issue with people sending emails thinking that they're private and then somebody hacking into them and making them public. I've got a problem with that. You know, privacy is privacy. But then again, they're out there and we have to deal with them. Uh, what, the, what it reveals is their personal nature, their true motivations, what drives them. Ah. And it's very fascinating. I don't need emails to know that. Well, <laughs> just look at their policies. One of the bombshells, you know, released by the dubious nature of the Democratic insiders is an email sent by former Clinton administration official Bill Ivey to Hillary's campaign chairman, John Podesta. He writes, quote, we've all been quite content to demean government, drop civics, and in general conspire to produce an unaware and compliant citizenry, unquote. It's no wonder that Julian Assange is in exile. It's actually, it's a wonder that he's still alive. The mistreatment of Trump by the two moderators on Sunday was entirely predictable, given that he was treated such just as poorly during and, the first and totally debate. totally unconscionable. Yeah. I was just, my jaw was dropping. I'm going, who's letting this go on? This is ridiculous. And given the left-leaning sentiments of the press in general. If it wasn't Cooper's lie about Trump admitting to sexual assault, then it was moderator Martha Radatz editorializing about the effectiveness on Trump's policy on extreme vetting of immigrant Muslims. She actually came out there and gave her own opinion as a moderator, as a referee, saying, oh, that doesn't work. I, I, <laughs> you know? I was stunned, yeah. The major and she was wrong about everything she said, too. Oh, of course, yeah. And totally hostile in mm -hmm. nature, in tone. Oh, totally, totally. And same with Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper blowing up at the audience, 
basically telling them, in no uncertain terms, to shut up. Yeah. Anytime they cheered Trump or booed Hillary, but when they cheered Hillary, they were allowed to keep screaming all they wanted. I just sat there with, uh, I'm going, holy cow, Donald, you, you've just won this for me. Thank you. Because yeah. they all gave, they, they're giving him the win. Well, I like the underdog, and he's definitely mm-hmm. the underdog in this. The major news outlet's response to the debate was also predictable, by the way, and an indictment against their objectivity, so-called. And I think that the news outlet, I mean, everybody's obviously had an agenda. And the journalists, of course, have an agenda. But there's supposed to be some sort of objectivity in news reporting. And I think you've nailed it one time before on a show, Bob. You say that the newspapers are records of what did you what did you say that they're official records? Well, yeah, they're of official history. records of of our you know there it's the fourth estate going out there to be our eyes and ears. That's right. They're to they're, events that we cannot possibly be at. That's why they have that class. They're they're actually listed in constitutions. The freedom of the press. Yeah. They have been given something which they are abusing, and that is a right to um, though you're not given rights. That is a um, a privilege, if you will, a status, if you will, in law that allows them to go out there and report on the news as a matter of record. They've abused that. They're going out there and giving opinion. They're lying. They're deceiving. They're making things up, like Anderson Cooper did with the sexual assault charge. And it's just like you should uh, misuse, not to misuse, but to continue to use the word unconscionable. Now, as an example here in Canada, John Doyle of the Globe and Mail wrote a scathing piece for that paper where he called Trump a douchebag or any of its variants no less than eight times in the one article. Well, that's an intellectual response. There you go. He called him petulant, a dick, a threatening alpha male, a misogynist, and a jerk. And this passes for reasoned editorializing by a nationally published television critic and columnist, John Doyle. One could get the same kind of kindergarten analysis with any dime-a-dozen progressive blogger. Doyle's observations are useful, however, in that they are common to the left. They ignore the phenomena and substance which is Trump and focus on his style. They complain about his hair, his expensive suit, his pastel ties, his demeanor, his walk, his look. They ignore what makes him so appealing to millions of Americans fed up with people like Hillary Clinton and people like John Doyle. They ignore the issues. Trump is a phenomenon, the likes of which we have not seen in American politics since Reagan's triumph over Jimmy Carter in 1980. And Carter, Raleigh's Falls was a far better human being than Hillary Rodham Clinton will ever be. I think the one that you should really be apologizing for and the thing that you should be apologizing for are the 33,000 emails that you deleted and that you acid washed and then the two boxes of emails and other things last week that were taken from an office and are now missing. And I'll tell you what, I didn't think I'd say this but I'm going to say it. And I hate to say it, but if I win, I am going to instruct my attorney general to get a special prosecutor to look into your situation because there has never been so many lies, so much deception. There has never been anything like it. And we're going to have a special prosecutor. When I speak, I go out and speak. The people of this country are furious. In my opinion, the people that have been long-term workers at the FBI are furious. There has never been anything like this where emails and you get a subpoena 
You get a subpoena, and after getting the subpoena, you delete 33,000 emails. And then you acid wash them, or bleach them, as you would say, a very expensive process. So we're going to get a special prosecutor, and we're going to look into it, because you know what? People have been, their lives have been destroyed for doing one fifth of what you've done. And it's a disgrace. And honestly, you ought to be ashamed of Secretary yourself. Secretary Clinton, I want to follow let, up let on that. Get, I'm going to let, let you talk about it now. Because everything he just said is absolutely false, but I'm not All surprised. Right. In the first debate, and we in the really, first the debate, audience needs to I calm told down people here. that it would be impossible to be fact-checking Donald all the time. I'd never get to talk about anything I want to do and how we're going to really uh, make lives better for people. So, once again, go to HillaryClinton.com. We have literally Trump. You can fact-check him, fact check, fact check him in real time. Last time at the first debate, we had millions of people uh, fact-checking, so I expect we'll have millions more fact-checking uh, because, you know, it is, uh, it's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton... We want to remind the audience to please not uh, talk out loud. Please do not applaud. You're just wasting time. I moved on her, actually. You know, she was down in Palm Beach. I moved on her, and I failed. I'll admit it. Whoa. I did try and... She was married. That's huge news, Sarah. No, no, Nancy. Yeah. No, this was marriages. And I moved on her very heavily. In fact, I took her out furniture shopping. She wanted to get some furniture. I said, I'll show you where they have some nice furniture. <laughs> I took her out furniture. I moved on her like a... <laughs> but I couldn't get there. And she was married. And all of a sudden, I see her. She's now got the big phony... <laughs> and everything. She's totally changed her look. She's your girl's hottie... In the purple. Whoa! Whoa. Yes! Whoa! Oh, yes, the Donald has scored! Whoa! <laughs> oh, my man! Wait, wait, you gotta look at me when you get out of your life. That is very you give me the thumbs up? You. you are a... You gotta put the thumbs up. You gotta okay. get the thumbs up. Okay, Can't be too happy. I gotta use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful... I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab him by the. <laughs> I can do anything. Hello, how are you? Hi. Hi, Trump. How nice are you? Nice seeing you. Terrific. Nice to meet you. Terrific. You know Billy Bush. Hello. How are you? Nice to see you. How are you doing, Ariane? I'm doing very well, thank you. Are you ready to be a soap star? We're ready. Let's go. Make right. me a soap star. How about a little hug for the Donald? He just got off the bus. Like a little okay, hug, absolutely. <laughs> Melania said hug this for the was okay. I just got off the bus. Oh. <laughs> bushy, bushy. There we go. There we go. Excellent. Well, Come you've on. got a nice co-star here. Good. Yes, absolutely. After you. Come on, Billy, don't be shy. As soon as a beautiful woman shows up, he just he takes Get over off here, Billy. always happens. I'm sorry. Come here. All right, let the little guy in there. Come yeah, on. let the little guy in. Now, if you had to choose, honestly, between one of us, me or the Donald. No, 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 that's, that's tough competition. Right yeah. Seriously, I mean, you, had to, you had to take one of us as a date. You have to take a fifth on that one. Really? <laughs> yep, I'll take both. Where are we going? And that, of course, for those who may not have heard it, was an edited version of the locker room banter between Donald Trump and television host Billy Bush, cousin of George W. Bush, by the way. And up until Monday, 
host of NBC's Today Show. <laughs> oh, the poor guy, you know. Did you notice that Bush was the one that seemed to be baiting and he encouraging totally, Trump? Totally, totally, He was the one, well, he's the instigator. Now, the locker room was actually a bus pulling up to the studio to meet with soap opera star Ariana Zucker. Now, both Bush and Trump were wearing microphones in preparation for their appearance on the show Access Hollywood, and the mics were live. I personally found the comments crude, lewd, and immature, but they're nothing to the comments I and many men have heard in various circumstances, but all of those circumstances being when there are no ladies present, as was the case with this particular uh, time. One thing I don't want to hear is a bunch of ladies talking when the men aren't present. Oh, Ooh, dear me. boy. <laughs> and you got to watch out. You know, comments <laughs> like those are quite common. Of course. Amongst teenage boys and young men. I heard worse when I was in the militia. I've heard worse at frat parties. But this was no frat party. Trump was 59 years old. He's married with children at that time. Bush was in his early 30s, also married with children. Both, of course, are New Yorkers. I don't know, maybe there's something about that. <laughs> they sounded like a couple of New York City workers in coveralls and hard hats sitting on an I-beam looking down on 7th Avenue sidewalk full of pretty girls. They're too far up in the high steel for anyone to hear, so they start in with their locker room banter over a Leo Lindy's pastrami sandwich. That's what I considered that, that uh, talk to be about, that locker room banter. Nothing more than that. Now, of course, there were other New York uh, famous for swearing. George Carlin. Even analyze swear words and develop the list of those seven words you can't say on television. I think Trump and Bush used three and threw at least one in that George Carlin didn't mention in his rather exhaustive analysis. Hillary Clinton has been known to say at least two of those seven. But don't tell me that Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton has ever said, has never said all seven, plus made up a few of her own. I'm not buying it. She's just as bad. If not worse, because at least when she swears, it, it's with hatred and vehemence from all accounts. With Trump, it's gay banter type of thing. You know, it was interesting, too, because in the clip, uh, they play the clip after they get off the bus, too. And yeah. they stopped talking like that. They didn't treat... As soon as they get off the bus and there's a woman present... You know, they are gentlemen. Well, Billy Bush wasn't. Billy Bush me. wasn't, but Donald Trump was. Donald Trump was yeah. a gentleman a, after a, that. You know, she she almost approached him with a kiss because they were kidding about it. But he, but Billy got it, got a big hug. <laughs> but what happened was, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's obvious on the video, but not during the audio. They step off the bus and they're both standing in front of uh, Adriana. They uh, Bush shakes her hand and then it was Billy Bush who basically encouraged her to give him a hug or a kiss. Yeah. And and Trump, you know, I mean, you know, reluctantly, yeah, it seemed reluctant. It, yeah, know, he was. He was being he much was being more, pushed into it. Yeah, you know, and it was Billy Bush who was being the frat boy. But anyway, you know, while those comments are damning about the immaturity of the participants, and it was immature, they're by no means uncommon, by no means a disqualification for Trump to continue his race for the president's job, as many are saying. You know, if infidelity were to disqualify you for the presidency then we would not have had Franklin Delano Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, and, of course, Bill Clinton. You know, and while uh, Donald said that uh, when you're famous, you can do anything, you know, he must have been thinking about that picture of Bill Clinton just released with him and his hand between the legs of that stewardess. You know, but the action of these men, Clinton and Johnson and Kennedy and Roosevelt and the like, while factually alleged about their, their, their behavior... It never destroyed their reputation or their fitness to be president. Of course, all of these men were Democrats. 
People thought of it to be as, to be as oh, look, they're human beings. They're, 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 they're um, infidelities. Oh, that's something to be ignored. They're great presidents. You, you know, know I, so. I think that you might have hit on a point that separates Trump from the average Republican. And I found that a lot of the anti-Trumpers, regardless of which camp they come from, and this, I could get into a whole show on this, but they're generally anti-sex and anti-atheist, someone who isn't deeply religious. And that, that Trump is not, he, has, he leads a different lifestyle than the hardcore, you know, fundamentalist Christian. Totally different person. He actually is more of a liberal in terms of his lifestyle. Oh, for sure. And, and that is why he may be the first Republican on who this stuff washes off. You know, I think we made this point on a show before. Mm if it wasn't in a private conversation with, with you, that the media and the public jumped down the throats of the Christian Republicans because they are hypocrites when they do behavior like that. They preach fidelity. They preach sobriety. But what do they do in public or private life? They breach that. All right. So therefore, they deserve, in a sense, to be attacked for that hypocrisy. Now, the Democrats don't preach sobriety or fidelity. So when they are in uh, unfaithful you got it. You got it. or drunk, yeah. then, hey, we're not doing anything we didn't say we would do. <laughs> no. Precisely. And, and Trump has always been upfront and straight, straight up front about everything. That's you true. Know, did, yes. you, did you take those tax deductions? Yes, I did. Did you do this? Yes, I did. You know? Yeah. Well, Never. You fool not to. <laughs> Everybody knew about Trump's behavior before this of tape. Course. I mean, and nobody should be surprised about it. So these are just this. And he is wasn't a false running for president in any of those periods no. of time, and never expected to be. No, he's a private citizen yes. doing it that at time, and like I said, it's common stuff. But now, what about the crudeness of the language Trump used? Well. We heard during the debate about Hillary Clinton's private and public thoughts with regards to policy and tactic and speeches made. Apparently, her private persona can be crude, rude, mean-spirited, and detestable. In Washington Post reporters Ken Kessler's book, The First Family Detail, Secret Service Agents Reveal the Hidden Lives of the Presidents, Hillary was greeted by a Secret Service agent who said, Good morning, ma'am. F off, she replied. And I'm and I'm actually truncating that. I'm I, I get the point. <laughs> deleting yeah. the expletive there. Trump, she didn't say that. Trumpcating it? No. <laughs> <laughs> she said it with um, with vitriol, with hatred. She hated the Secret Service. She hated her detail. She hated people in uniform, and asked that they not wear it around her. Now, according to Kessler, this was only one of many such exchanges uh, Clinton would have with her Secret Service agents. To quote from Kessler again, quote. When in public, Hillary smiles and acts graciously. As soon as the cameras are gone, her angry personality, nastiness, and imperiousness becomes evident. Hillary Clinton can make Richard Nixon look like Mahatma Gandhi, unquote. So, Hillary is apparently the pot to Trump's kettle. If crudeness is a disqualification for being president, then both candidates should step aside. But it isn't, you see. Only crudeness on the part of a Republican candidate apparently is a disqualification. Qualifier. Only crudeness on the part of a candidate who is poised to get in the way of every Democrat's dream of having a woman in the Oval Office is, no matter how crude, vulgar, hateful, and demeaning she is, is a disqualifier. And what are we really talking about here? Words. Words, as Trump would say. Compare words with actions. Compare them, as Trump did, with the actions of our enemy ISIS. Comparing, uh, compare, say, look at the gams on that 
with an ISIS terrorist raping and beheading children, as they do and proudly display. Let's put things in perspective, as Trump did. Trump made every attempt to put things in perspective during that debate. He did so, too. He did it well. And I think so, yes. It was all the moderators and Clinton do to try and steer the debate back to some gutter talk of Trump. Now, when it comes down to it, the American people have made a choice. A choice between Hillary Clinton, a loathsome, self-serving, lying, deceitful, hateful career politician, a Marxist who puts the crone in cronyism, or Donald Trump an immature, uncultured man who just happens to love his country so much that he puts his personal wealth and reputation on the line in order to restore the sense of greatness this 70-year-old New Yorker knew that the United States once had, but has since lost due to people like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. You know, with this debate, the choice for me has never been more clear. Taking out the trash, taking out the trash. Dumpster writing, the voice of the people. Up with bubbles, down with air. Stop! Nematodes are people too. Ha, <laughs> those nematodes. Hmm, what's this one? Crabs is a... Do you kiss your mother with that mouth? Hi, garbage man. Hi, SpongeBob. Hi, Patrick. Hey, Patrick, do you know what this word means? Oh, hey, I think I know what that means. That's one of those sentence enhancers. Sentence enhancers? You use it when you want to talk fancy. You just sprinkle it over anything you say, and whibble! You got yourself a spicy sentence sandwich. Oh, I get it. Let me try. Ahem. Hello, Patrick. Lovely day we're having, isn't it? Why, yes it is, SpongeBob. This day is particularly lovely. How right you are, Patrick. Ooh, you're right, Patrick. My lips are tingling from the spiciness of this conversation. Hello, customers. Nice day we're having, huh? Hey, Patrick, how the are you? Pretty good, SpongeBob. I don't understand. That guy's talented. He doesn't have to work blue. Let's go somewhere more family-oriented. <gasps> SpongeBob and friend! Front and center! Why you gotta make the toy you paint the Krusty Krab for using such language? But Mr. Krabs, we were only using our sentence enhancers. Yeah, it's fancy talk. There ain't nothing fancy about that word! You mean... Yes, that one! Now quit saying that! It's a bad word. Bad, bad word? That's bad word number 11. In fact, there are 13 bad words you should never use. Don't you mean there are only seven? Not if you're a sailor. <laughs> Black lives matter. Mm -mm -mm. Facts don't matter. Mm -mm -mm. Right now, the narrative that is being set is that the system is inherently racist, white privilege, yada, yada, yada. And when cops see any young black man, they go into Lloyd Christmas mode. Lloyd. 
the point where places like Black Lives Matter, leftist websites, even MTV News are pushing this idea that innocent black men are being shot for no reason at all. Now, the purpose of this video is not to justify nor condemn any of the deaths that occurred during these police-civilian interactions, but to provide you with the context that MTV News and Vox and HuffPo refuses to. Bah, 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 facts don't matter. Let's just use this video from MTV News that's being circulated to start. All right, the situation with Philando, we don't really know a whole bunch yet. That didn't stop MTV News from putting it in a video. And it seems to be a really horrific accident, and hopefully justice will be served when the information comes out. But we do know that he wasn't shot for broken taillights. He was shot during an altercation where he was pulled over because because he matched a description for a suspect in an armed robbery. Police were on high alert for a gun. Police get shot in routine traffic stops all the time. Statistically, yeah, it happens a lot at the hands of young black men. And there was a miscommunication with Philando reaching for what he claims to be his wallet or ID and the cop thought was a gun. Now that doesn't mean that any of this is justified or it's a good situation, but to simplify it to shot for broken taillight, is deliberately misleading. Clearly, Alton Sterling wasn't shot for selling CDs. He was shot because someone called in a report that he was threatening a homeless man with a gun. He was tased first and he continued to resist arrest and he had a firearm on him, which I'm guessing was illegal because this guy had a rap sheet a mile long, including being a registered sex offender and having done time in prison for violent crimes. This wasn't a routine pat down. This was an altercation with a longtime felon who didn't want to go back to the slammer. Is it unfortunate? Yes. Was he arrested and shot for selling CDs? No. Only Mr. Clark was not shot. For attending a birthday party, he was shot for preventing paramedics for assisting with an assault victim. He wasn't handcuffed, he refused to show his hands, and there is DNA evidence showing that he reached for a cop's gun. He wasn't there to play balloon tricks. Almost forgot, little tidbits. Um, the assault victim that he was interfering with the police trying to help, it was his girlfriend. Yeah, he was the one who assaulted her. What a gem. But by all means, please continue with the narrative that cops are simply out there uh, hunting down young black men because they're attending birthday parties and selling CDs. I hate you. What they don't tell you is Walter Scott tried to grab an officer's stun gun and he did run away from the police because he didn't want to pay child support. That being said, the cop acted poorly, but no justice, no peace. Wait, there's justice. He's being charged with murder. The system worked. Okay, Michael Brown was not shot for stolen cigarillos. What happened at that convenience store was a robbery, not shoplifting. There was use of violent force. He was identified as a suspect in that robbery. He reached for an officer's gun. But hands up, don't shoot! His hands weren't up. He was punching a cop in the face and reaching for his gun. When that happens, sometimes officers are trained to shoot. Are there several points where this didn't have to escalate? Of course, but the idea that a racist cop picked off some gentle giant Michael Brown is entirely inaccurate, as the rest of these examples. Sandra Bland traffic violation. To the untrained, uneducated eye, that looks terrible. She was murdered for a traffic violation? No, she was detained and she killed herself. A lot of people want to say it's a conspiracy. No, third party autopsy results revealed that, were consistent with that, and there was marijuana in her system. No, I'm not saying that all people smoking joints should go kill themselves. Just, if you're watching this, go get a snack. Those were the opening comments of Steven Crowder from his Louder with Crowder commentary of October 7th, uh, which I shall return to in a moment, but not before reminding everyone that you are listening to Just Right Broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to all of our financial supporters who have made it possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, 
Sample some of our timeless past broadcasts, which are all archived for your listening enjoyment at your convenience. 24 hours a day. Boy, what a world we live in, eh, Robert? It's getting stranger and stranger, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Stephen Crowder's review of the various incidents cited by Black Lives Matter as their evidence of systemic discrimination against blacks ran for about 15 minutes, and we've only cited a few of his examples in our own audio bite selections. We'll hear a bit more from him a bit later. So what's all the fuss about? Well, for those who haven't heard, here's the account of London's only daily paper, the London Free Press, on October 6th, and the heading reads, Words Matter. It was a two-part article co-written by Jennifer O'Brien and by Deborah Van Brank, both of the London Free Press. Quote, London anti-racism activists are stepping up demands for Mayor Matt Brown to create an anti-racism task force after Western University students mocked the Black Lives Matter movement in a banner. Oh, dear. (laughs) If a community were to set the tone that it is invested and committed to anti-racism, then you don't have Western breeding such hate, said Moda Cox, who helped run a forum on London racism last month. We can make excuses for our kids if we want, but we will continue to be the armpit of major cities in Canada. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Because London is still considered one of the most racist cities. Is that what you run into all the time, Robert? (laughs) Only when I read like that. (laughs) Oh, you better bleep that one out, too. (laughs) The incident. Four white male students were photographed in front of a Western Lives Matter banner was just the latest example of rampant systemic racism that people of color face in London on campus and off, Cox said Wednesday. Now, Deborah Van Brank in the same article reported, quote, How people define it, I suppose that's an individual decision, but I will stand firm in representing a university who wants to ensure our students' support and our community's safety, said Jana Luker. Associate Vice President of Student Experience at Western University, who calls it racist. She said the issue is not free speech, but of respecting students' rights to feel safe and supported. I would encourage a discussion around different issues. There's no question about that. Now, when I read that, my first response was, well, this is a complete unadulterated lie. It's a fraud, a misrepresentation, a fiction, a fantasy, an insult to the intelligence and to morality. Uh, because she, she doesn't want to, they don't want a discussion. That's the one thing they're trying to stop. Doesn't anybody see that? She says, I think this is a place where we can educate, which means indoctrinate with their BS. But to be clear, our community standards, boy, I haven't heard that word in a long time, are such that there's no room for hate and hate crimes, Luker said. So I'm thinking, how many more contradictions can you possibly pack into a single statement? No room for hate and hate crimes, but you're advocating a discussion and you're openly declaring that hate includes a statement like Western Lives Matter. If that's all it takes to be accused of hate, then there's not much conversation that they're going to allow. What they call a discussion is their way of saying shut up if you disagree with us. Quote, Western has publicly condemned the students, but that's not enough, said Roa Muhammad, who just completed a health sciences degree at the university, still works on campus, and has been a leading voice demanding that Brown create an anti-racism tax force. Western doesn't exist outside of London. Racism at Western is racism in London, said Muhammad. It's a systemic problem. It's not some one-off event, end quote. 
Both free press reporters go on to badmouth both Western and London for their long-standing racist history, and the putrid drivel just goes on and on. I just couldn't believe what I was reading. Quote, Western has a very specific history of racist incidents going on, and Western specifically doing nothing, added Muhammad, who is black and is Muslim. She also wears a headscarf and was part of the Black Student Association during the five years she studied there, end quote. So as you can see, there's a lot of objectivity in those opinions. So I guess you can't use this term anymore because Black Lives Matter is claiming a monopoly on it. I guess you can't even use the word matter anymore. I don't know. Matter. This matters. Oh, you're, you're a racist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's a clue to the psychology driving the whole issue. I heard the same phrase, words matter, constantly applied to Donald Trump's situation, though the people saying it were referring to Trump's comments completely out of context, and they also didn't seem to care that actions matter. <laughs> actions don't matter, but words do. I would agree. Yes, words do matter. That's why we have freedom of speech, so that we can speak them, for heaven's sakes. Jeez, get it straight. Especially if they're offensive. It's the only way to get at the truth where no direct experience or evidence is available to us. Freedom of speech does not exempt one from the responsibility of what was said. If you use it to threaten life, liberty, or property, you forfeit your own life to all three. But no such thing has happened at Western. On the part of the students who displayed the Western Lives Matter sign, that's ridiculous. But this is exactly what's being suggested by Western's Equity and Human Rights Services. And of all the anti-racist <laughs> activist groups, they're not fighting racism. They're fighting freedom of speech and trying to use terror tactics to prevent having a rational discussion about their purported issues. That's to keep us distracted from their true intentions, which are not good. Now, we heard from Stephen Crowder. He wrote on Friday, October 7th, quote, saying lives matter after anything other than black is racist? <laughs> That's his question, right? And boy, did he hit it on the head. Listen to this, quote, when we say all or all of followed by lives matter, we're called racists. <laughs> by now, we learn from Western University that indeed anything other than black lives matter totally is racist. Because a college, somebody said it. So it totes official now, you guys. First, trigger warning, and then they put the picture of those guys mm -hmm. sitting in it, which was just three guys smiling in front of their sign, right? They're, they're, of course, they're white. And then he goes, just a few bros being bros, bro. At least that's how you, a sane person, see this photo. That's why you're a racist, sexist, bigot, homophobic, transphobic, asexual, hating ninny pants. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Of course, to a liberal with a giant knobby staff up his or her Z's anus, <laughs> those four dudes being dudes who are white and male, the audacity, all smiling and showing school pride by culturally appropriating spray paint from gangs written on a white sheet from the KKK flea market, <laughs> saying their college lives matter is outrageous. Ergo, the control plus alt plus outrage. <laughs> <laughs> One anti-racism activist said the young age of the students is no excuse for the offensive banner. Quote, we can minimize racism as we always have done. We can minimize the experiences of people of color. We can say kids can be kids, but they're adults, said Moda Cox. The reality is that is racism. Anyone who tags anything and sticks lives matter on the end of it isn't fooling anyone. There are well-informed people who will say that it is racism. End quote. And then Crowder writes, fact check. If you say this is racism... You are not well-informed. 
Take the paint can away from your face. If you want to sniff something, may I suggest a flower? No? Perhaps a nice cup of coffee? <laughs> no? Well, if the coffee is hot enough, might I suggest you tip it all over your face? No. Your lap, then. It's already soiled, so what's the harm? <laughs> that banner isn't offensive. Yo, the sheet is just a sheet. It's not actually from the KKK. It was a joke. A joke is a device meant to tickle the funny bone, which you were born without, twit. <laughs> now, lives matter. Black lives matter. White lives matter. Asian lives. Unborn lives. Human lives matter. Saying human lives matter isn't racist. The movement Black Lives Matter, they might actually be racist. Not people who believe that black lives and any other life matters, but the group who cares not at all about facts and who advocates for violence against police. Yeah, they're the racist ones. Read Black Lives Matter founder tweets about, quote, killing white folk, lashes out at critics. So seriously, man, put down the paint, sniff something less toxic. Your own flatulence, even. <laughs> End quote. Right on, comrade. Yeah. Well, that's certainly one valid way of expressing reality. Totally on the mark. One problem, though. Reality and its companion reason are not relevant to anyone with the kinds of agendas being pursued by these university students. Their motivation is fear and hate, driven by false narratives, narratives invented by those who want to spread hate and fear. It's a self-perpetuation cycle. Now, we heard the opening segment of Stephen Crowder's October 7th commentary just a few minutes ago. Time constraints force us to skip past his litany of examples and context that he covered in his much longer review. So now we're about to hear his closing, which contains a very valuable message with which I agree wholeheartedly. Trayvon Martin for wearing a hoodie. Oh, thank you, Geraldo Rivera, for your misspeak, making this a meme for all time. No, he wasn't killed for wearing a hoodie. George Zimmerman, I've said it, he's a jackass, not a fan. He should have stood down. He didn't have to follow this kid. But when that situation escalates to the point where the kid is bashing your head into the concrete, here's the deal. Whenever you assault somebody that violently, you're forfeiting your right to live. People don't like to hear that, but here's the deal. If someone holds me at knife point or gunpoint or assaults me in the street or sucker punches me, you don't know what the intent is of that person. You don't know if they're simply trying to impress their friends or if it's some form of gang initiation or if they're a crazy person dead set on killing you. You don't know if they want your watch or they want your life. The second you escalate it to a point that is violent enough that could kill somebody. Whether it's your intent or not, you forfeit your right to live. And that's what happened here. Tragic, yes, but this is not out of the ordinary. Again, the point of this video is not to justify all the killings, nor is it to condemn all of the killings. I, I think if we're being honest, I've been fair and pretty reasonable. If you don't think so, let me know below. The point is that when it's Black Lives Matter or MTV News or HuffPo or whatever the organization is that day, when they put out there this idea that cops in record numbers are simply killing black people because of a level of melanin in their skin for benign activities and no reason at all, what does that do? Well, it makes it okay to vilify cops. It makes it okay to dehumanize cops. And it makes it okay to treat them subhumanely. Because think about this for a second. If you genuinely believe, as many of the cop killers out there right now do, that officers are killing people for simple things like selling CDs, for going to a birthday party, well, of course you could justify it as your duty to kill police officers. And people have. My point is that if you are not honest, if you are simply using a false narrative to try and generate clicks, you then allow somebody to 
aim their latest outrage cannon uh, at whoever subject you deem to be suitable. In this case, lately, unfortunately, it's been a lot of innocent police officers. Right before the Dallas shootings, if you watch this channel, I said, hey, 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 if it gets to the point where it's more controversial to say wait for the facts than it is to demand the public lynching of officers, we have a problem. That video was released right before the Dallas shootings. I am telling you this right now. If we do not start having an honest conversation about what is going on, you are going to create an atmosphere that you can't take back and you will regret it. Something has come to our attention, and we don't think it would be befitting in our roles to support and serve students if we also didn't bring it to your attention. A Western Lives Matter banner hung on a student house being used as a photo opportunity has circulated the internet. And while the full implications of this banner are far too complex to fully unpack in this video alone and warrant a further conversation, we could not let it go unrecognized. Equating the student upheaval of a homecoming date change to the Black Lives Matter movement, which represents years of pain, oppression, and violence, is the epitome of ignorance and privilege, and it essentially belittles their entire movement. We have to be aware that some people's lives depend on protest, that some are fighting for some very basic human rights. We have to be aware of the social and historical context of struggle. That being said, your voice and your actions are extremely powerful. They have an enormous effect on how the wider community views us as Western students, but also how we view ourselves. If the events of this weekend show us anything, it's that we the students have a voice, we have power, and we definitely have an undeniable strength in numbers. And while the mobilization of this power is nothing to scoff at, we can't forget that it is only scratching the surface of the amount of change we the students have the power to make. Never be afraid to stand up for what you believe in, and by all means support any and every cause that truly means something to you. But do not do that at the expense of someone else's struggle. Please, use your voice wisely. Okay, I will. Let's deconstruct what we just heard. By the way, that was the voice of Eddie Avila, whose photo was featured in a previous London Free Press article we reviewed and who's speaking on behalf of Western University's Equity and Human Rights Services. What the hell is that? It sounds kind of chilling to me. When I first heard of this controversy, my first thought was one of dismissal, Black Lives Matter and Western Lives Matter, both meaningless statements outside of any context. But thanks to Mr. Avila's comments, he has clarified the context that UCC has assigned to each slogan, and I find myself in complete disagreement with his judgment on both counts. Quote, something has come to our attention, and we don't think it would be befitting in our roles to support and serve students if we didn't also bring it to your attention. Well, I disagree. No, you didn't need to bring this to anyone's attention. It doesn't warrant attention. It's harmless. It's freedom of expression. And it had a valid point to make by your own account, which I'll get to in a moment. Quote, and while the full implications of this banner are far too complex to fully unpack in this video alone and warrant a further conversation, we could not let it go unrecognized, end quote. 
Well, I'm not sure what the problem was with being unable to address the full implications of the banner in a UCC-produced video. Was there a time limit? It was, it was two minutes. They could have made it three, could have made it four. How long would it actually take to address the full implications? Why, no time at all. He did it in his next sentence. <laughs> right. What's too complex is the justification for his argued implications, like facts or evidence which do not match the narrative. That's when it gets complex. Quote, equating the upheaval of the homecoming date change to the Black Lives Matter movement, which represents years of pain, oppression, and violence, is the epitome of ignorance and privilege, and it essentially belittles their entire movement, end quote. Well, talk about a politically charged statement of threatening those who would use the Lives Matter slogan for their own causes. Belittle their movement? Uh, it deserves complete condemnation and moral, moral rejection at the root. Black Lives Matter is a racist group. They're terrorists. Uh, we should be belittling them, shouldn't we, Robert? Haven't I we think, been doing uh, that? Organized criminals would be more apt. Yeah. It is engaging in the same kinds of propaganda and misinformation activities domestically as is, say, ISIS on the Islamic front. They're doing the same things. Its spokespeople and activists have no respect for other groups, just as we covered and was demonstrated at Toronto's last gay pride march. Remember that one? Yeah in which uh, Black Lives Matter uh, promoted the propagandist notion that the police operate on racial motivations as a matter of course, oblivious to the circumstances, as we've just been hearing from Crowder. Another point, nothing said in the video matches the facts of history. The historical context is a matter of record. Slavery and race were incidental in terms of cause and consequence to each other in the U.S., as we've examined before. There were thousands of black slave owners in early America, and virtually all of the slave traders outside America were black. Moreover, this is so funny, it was pre the predominantly white northerners who fought to free the slaves, but not because of anything to do with race. It was all about freedom and capitalism being on the rise, and slavery was incompatible with capitalism. So there is, the, there is a little bit of facts of history. I don't hear any of that coming out of, out of the university. And another point, in calling for collective action and for the political power of some, you know, some kind of majority over others, some kind of minority, uh, both also left undefined, they're calling for the very conditions that make oppression possible. Quote, Listen to this. We have power, and we definitely have an undeniable strength in numbers. And while the mobilization of this power is nothing to scoff at, we can't forget that it's only scratching the surface of the amount of change that we, the students, have the power to make. I quote. take that as a threat of violence. It is. Nothing less. It is. Well, no, the whole, uh, I watched the video from Avila. I found his speech to be pedantic, condescending, arrogant, snobbish, and just wrong as, for all the reasons you just pointed out. But it's, it's an exemplar of uh, progressive thought and Marxist thought in uh, modern university campuses. It was disgusting. Uh, I found so too. It struck me so much like the kinds of videos released by ISIS after they've just beheaded someone. And then, this point, to falsely suggest, as has been done, that we should, quote, never be afraid to stand up for what we believe in and by all means support any and every cause that truly means something to you, end quote. I couldn't believe he had the nerve to say that. Being a complete hypocrite, everything else this gentleman said contradicts that advice. In fact, the video is meant to instill fear. He is the terrorist. 
against those who dare to exercise their freedom of expression in ways that he interprets to be counter to some sort of fantasized and infantilized views of the world. Who's he think he's kidding? You know, obviously everyone on the left is buying into it. That's why we live in increasingly dangerous times. They have a true majority with the support of the right wing sitting on its ass, while most of those on the true right are few in numbers and yet are the real targets of the leftist majoritarians. They don't fight over between each other. They're after the Trumps. They're after the individual who says something different. Individuals scare the hell out of collectives because they have more power. I know this from experience. The many always fear the one. Now, if Western Lives Matter had a valid point to make, it was about this year's change in the traditional homecoming date. Well, they actually had a point to make. Ostensibly in an effort to reduce violence and property damage that has become to be associated with the homecoming tradition, they changed the date this year. You heard about that. Yeah. And so in other words, trivial as it might seem, and actually is in absolute terms, I'll admit that, but philosophically it's not trivial. Think about it. Western Lives Matters expressed a protest against a forced change in the culture of the university. It's a cultural issue. They're using it the same way. So go figure. It all comes down to culture again, which makes the use of lives matter in the context of talking about culture by those students very appropriate. And here, at first, I thought it was just silliness and meaninglessness until I understood that there was a cause behind that statement, right? It wasn't just for fun. Now, I just have a few other closing points. If you wanted to add anything else to that, Robert? No, just that it is a, an excellent example of um, how close this nonsense is getting to us here. Uh, it's everywhere. It's on every campus. Uh, I don't think that anybody's excused from it. And we have to nip it in the bud. We have to bring it, uh, bring the light to it and, and do what we're doing now and telling people how wrong they are and how wrong-headed they are and for what reason that they're holding these, these having these speeches and, and, and having these committees of equity and human rights. I mean, what kind of perversion of liberty is such a committee? It, it, it's a complete perversion. These things... You know, stuff like that existed in the Germany of the 1930s, okay? Pick up that damn history book, you guys. You know, for all the talk of wanting to have a discussion, that's the one thing that this argument does not want. Western lives matter, quote-unquote. Isn't that part of the discussion? Doesn't that mean that the message is getting through, good for good or bad? Ah, yes, wrong message. The Black Lives Matter message wasn't about any lives mattering. It was about exclusion. Anyone who is not black doesn't matter. That's the message, right? And we know that from the way it's been applied. In fact, the minute you dare to identify with whatever the culture is, then you'll be accused of cultural appropriation. So they got you coming and going. You can't be with them or against them. That's why. That's what they want. They right. want your silence. Well, people they, are people are going to be um, terrorized into silence. And they want separation. They want their dividing. And then here they are all talking about uniting and dividing. When, when that's exactly what they're doing. You know, when other people copy you, including your your quote quote-unquote culture, that's usually considered the sincerest form of flattery. The mere use of the terms uh, lives matter encourages discussion. That's why the fascists on campus are against it, because they got the discussion going and now they're afraid of the direction it's going in, right? And so it's got to be stopped. And of course, there's the big issue. They always talk about slavery paths. Look, it's capitalism or slavery. And the left is always opposed to capitalism. So whose side are they on, right? Perhaps the scariest symptom of all this virulent thought and behavior 
is that the so-called mainstream media gives this insanity its support and credibility. Our campuses today are very much like the university environments of the late 1930s Germany. Of course, when it comes to encouraging a discussion on the issues, this is the place to come. After all, our views are always just right, aren't they, Robert? Of course. And you can just write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org about anything you've heard on today's show, pro or con. So be sure to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Oh, let me tell you something. I am so sick of Washington and all its works and all them politicians down there and them congressmen and the congressmen, boy. I'll bet you won't find none of them congressmen turning down their electric blankets tonight. Because if they did, their secretaries would get up and go home. <laughs>